Amen. It is great to worship together. Um, if you're here and you're a guest with us, it is an honor to have you here. I know it takes courage coming to a new place. I'm Jack, one of the pastors here. And what I know about you, whether you've been in church for 30 minutes or you've been in church for 30 years, is I know that you've had a light bulb moment happen for you in life. Maybe it was like me when I was taking my driving test and I failed the first time. Anyone with me? Anyone? Oh good, there's friends here. Okay. And then I remember going home and my mom talking to me and, and we looking through the book again. And I'm like, I'm never going to get this. This is. And I went back and I did it because I figured out that you shouldn't hit someone in a crosswalk. And the cars didn't have the right of way. It was like a light bulb moment. I don't know if you've had a light bulb moment. Or remember cartoons? Remember? And like the light bulb would light up above in the thought bubble and it'd be like, hey, this. There's clarity, right? There was confusion before. There was kind of some things that were unsettled. You didn't quite know. And then all of a sudden, it's like this clarity. Maybe you've had that where you're working on a project or trying to write a paper for school. You're working on something, you get nothing. It's like a blank paper. Anyone ever had that feeling? And you're like, nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden, like you go to sleep, you take a nap, you eat a burrito. I don't know what you do. But something happens. It's like this light bulb moment happens for you. Maybe as a teacher. And there's teachers, and you're trying to get the light bulb moment to go on for students. And it's like you're teaching, you're, you're trying to figure out what the right way to do it. And all of a sudden, you have the conversation in the class setting, and it just, it's like the lights begin to come on. The eyes kind of open up a little bit, and you're like, they're, they're getting it. Maybe it's as a doctor or a nurse, and all those classes, and all those, uh, all those rounds that you had to do, and all the things you had to sit through, and all the stuff you had to learn, and all the, the big words I can't even pronounce that you had to wrestle through. And it's your first week of a job. And like you help someone. And it's in that moment you realize, man, this is why I do what I do. Maybe you've had that moment as an entrepreneur, and you kind of started something. And you had an idea, and you didn't know if it was going to work, but then suddenly it kind of just all came together. And it just worked. Maybe as a parent, life is stuff you're chasing after, things you're going after, and then, then you have your first kid. And you're sitting there, I remember sitting there in the chair and holding my first child. And it was like the light bulb came on of what really matters in life and all the things I was chasing and all the things I thought were so significant and so important and yet the reality of what really matters and it's like this light bulb moment happens for you have you ever been there maybe several times throughout your life you'll probably have a few more and what I want you to think about, we've been making our way through the book of Luke the last few eight, eight nine weeks, kind of unpacking Jesus and, and different things that he's been looking at. And Luke, in chapter 24, I think kind of puts out in, in, in great clarity that Easter is God's light bulb moment for humanity. It's like the clarity that people need to see. And for some of you tonight, you're going to hear some of this. And my hope and my prayer and our prayer has been that maybe the light bulb begins to come on for you. Maybe it starts dim, but it's beginning to ignite. For others of you, maybe this has been something that's a story you've, you've known, it's a story you've heard, it's a story you've lived, but it's just become dull. Maybe the bulb has kind of burned out. 
in a way. Maybe in a lot of ways you're kind of going through the motions. And, and I hope tonight is a night where Luke kind of gives you a picture, an insight into something significant, simple, and small. But it's so awesome what you see in the life of Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke chapter 2. That's where we're going to be. I'm sorry the version stuff isn't working tonight. But uh, Luke chapter uh, 24, the very last chapter of Luke, we're going to be there. And we're going to look at the first uh, couple of verses here and begin to unpack. Because what's happening is Jesus has been killed. He's been put into the tomb. And it's like three days later, right? And so... The silence, you know, Lyle talked about the silence of what it would have been to have been a follower of Jesus in that moment and to realize, hey, I don't know if the story is going to continue or not. And here's what Luke begins to say on the first day of the week. Here's what he says, verse 1. Very early in the morning, the women took spices that they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not see or find his body. While they were wondering about this, because... Anyone here, would you be wondering about that? I think I would. If I walked into, this is where they laid him, okay, the stone's rolled away, that's odd. Um, and then walk in and it's empty, tombs usually have what in them? This is not a trick question. A body, okay, that's usually, especially a fresh body, like two days earlier, it was put in there, three days, like, we, we got it, okay? In their fright, they're kind of there. All of a sudden, this, these two angels show up, and it's bright. It's like lightning. They fall down to their faces to the ground. It says this, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? Great question. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And they go running back to the 11. They're held up in this secret room because, like, they're scared. Because if you kill the leader of this group, you might be killing the other people who are in this group, right? Rome doesn't play tag. Rome plays squish, okay? They squish out movements, and, and, and they squish out revolutions that have happened. And so they're hiding out, and these women come back, and they're telling the story of resurrection. And they're like, what? I, I can't even get my mind around. Are you crazy? What have you been drinking this early in the morning? What is going on? And they're struggling to understand. You realize, in the first century, what's fascinating about Jesus showing up, and we'll get to this a little bit later, is showing up and actually meeting with Mary Magdalene, actually having the encounter. She thinks he's the gardener. But having the encounter, women in the first century could not even give testimony in court. And yet the creator of the heavens and the earth says, you're going to be the first one I tell. And so he tells. They go back this is nonsense. His early disciples are falling. Going, I don't get it. Peter gets up. He runs to the tomb. He looks in. And he leaves confused. Because there's no body. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by himself. He went away wondering to himself, what in the world happened here? I don't get it. It's like the light bulb is beginning to flicker. Beginning. 
it's not quitely, quite illuminated yet. It's beginning to kind of flicker and understand, maybe begin to illuminate the, the room a little bit, but it's not quite there. It's still like when you've come in from a bright room and you're into a dark room and it's, your eyes are adjusting, and that's the eyes of Peter's heart, not quite understanding what's going on. Because here's what you have to understand, is what you know. It's what you know. Death means end of story. It always has. It always will. That's what it means. Like when someone dies, it's, it's over. All the pieces go back in the box. We're not playing anymore. And so this movement of Jesus that had been growing for three and a half years suddenly feels like Rome actually won, like Rome actually squashed it out. It's, it's done. But see, the truth is, resurrection changes everything. Everything. It begins to illuminate, and the light bulb begins to come on in areas that people had never thought about before, never even crossed their mind, never even gotten their hearts around it. It begins to change everything. What's interesting is the life wasn't over. The story wasn't over. What's fascinating, you go back to 33 AD. Jesus is walking around, right, ministry. He's got his 12 disciples that he's called. And these, have, these folks have lived their life for three and a half years around Jesus. The crowds have come, the crowds have gone. This inner circle has expanded a little bit, but really less than 200 people. And when you're a 200 people group, or 120 to 200, and Rome catches wind by other people telling you that, hey, you're here revolutionaries, they have no military experience, but Rome isn't going to take that line down. And so, of course, they squash out the leader. That's what Rome has done. Every generation after generation after generation, it's what they do. And the story always stops. Because death means game over. You're done. But something happened that you have to wrestle with and get your mind around. You may be here, and maybe someone promised you to come to church, and here's my invitation for you. Just wrestle with this. You may have serious doubts and questions. Is this the greatest hoax of all time? Is this the biggest lie ever told? Because how do you go from 12 people and the leader being killed to today in our world, in our here and now, 2.3 billion people who are followers of Christ in every nook and cranny of the world? How does that happen? How do you get your mind around that? You realize that if you took Europe and China and USA together, that would just about equal the number of Christians or followers of Christ who follow after this man who was killed and resurrected. You may have questions about it. You may have doubts about it. Search it out. Wrestle with that. But how do you explain that? These non-educated fishermen tax collectors going about changing everything in the world and the courage that they have. If it was a lie, would you go to your death for a lie? I wouldn't. Would you? But if this is real, if this is something that really happened, what's fascinating, you study uh, the life of Jesus and you begin to understand, you know, Jesus never wrote anything. Did you ever think about that? Never wrote a book never wrote a chapter, never wrote a little leaflet. 
never wrote a pamphlet, yet more has been written about Jesus Christ than anything else in this world bar none. He never built anything, yet architecture around the world speaks to his presence and to his person and to who he is and to his movement. How do you explain that? He, he never crafted anything. He never drew anything. We, he drew in the dirt once. A lot of people walked away as he did. That's the only time we know, but yet more art has been dedicated to him, to his person, than anyone else on the face of the planet. He never wrote a song. Yet some of the best music over the last 2,000 years has been written about him. How do you explain that? Unless something really happened. Uh, unless the end of the story wasn't really the end, it was actually just the beginning. If you begin to get your mind around this reality that the resurrection changes everything and that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an invitation for anyone and for each someone. What's fascinating about the life of Jesus is that you begin to understand that when he came back, Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead to prove that he could do it. He came back for you, for me. He had a person in mind. And when you begin to study and understand the resurrection, how Jesus um, appeared and began to appeal to people was on an individual, small group basis. That's fascinating to me. Because if I was Jesus and I had come back from the dead, you know the first place I'd go? Pilate's house. I'd show up. I'd be eating fruit out of the bowls. Be like, hey, What's happening? Remember me? That's where I'd go. Or better yet, maybe I would hover above the temple in, in broad daylight, like in the middle of noon when everyone's out getting lunch and all that kind of stuff, and I'd be like, I'm back. That's what I would do. Or I would start a social media campaign. I would begin to get it out. It'd be like the disciples would be showing up at the at the, the at the grave there, and the stone would be rolled away, and they'd be like, oh, he updated the status to risen. Oh, okay, he must be here. That's what I would do. It's what you would do. The reality is, if you resurrect, you want to reveal that. And Jesus does, but he doesn't do it in the way that I think you and I in our world and our culture, think about the Super Bowl. Think about how much hype how much advertising, how much stuff happens with a game. Now take that to the level of death being beaten. The one enemy across the world that has never been defeated. And think about the hype would come with that. And yet what we begin to discover with Jesus is that he's appearing and appealing to individuals. We know he appeared to big groups. Paul talks about that. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he says this, I passed on to you what you should know is the most important, what's been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture says. 
He was seen by Peter and then by 12, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. You could go talk to him. Paul's writing this. So we know he has this big group appearance, but the reality is that's not how it unfolds. And that these days following the resurrection of Christ, Jesus resurrects and he personally interacts. And friends, I think that's the greatest gift of Easter. I think that is the light bulb moment of Easter. Not in a declaration necessarily for everyone, though it is, but for each someone. Jesus begins to reveal who he is and his heart and his life and his hope to them. It's, it's meeting Mary outside the tomb and she's like, where, where have they taken him? I don't see him here. Where have they taken him? Hey, you, you're the gardener. Where have they taken him? And all he has to say is, Mary. And suddenly, she realizes. Luke 24 goes on. It tells us about a walk. It's a fascinating walk. Two disciples who are leaving Jerusalem, and they're walking to this town nearby, seven miles away, okay? So these guys are walking, and Jesus comes up, and he actually walks alongside them, yet they are kept from recognizing him. So imagine that conversation. Jesus walks up. Hey, what you guys talking about? (laughs) Have you been under a rock around here? I mean, seriously. Like, this Jesus guy, we thought he was the one. We thought it was it. We thought this was finally it. And yet, he was killed three days ago. And now these crazy rumors of people talking about resurrection. I'm sure Jesus is like, (laughs) that's a good one. Let's keep walking. And they keep walking seven miles. Imagine that conversation. As Jesus begins to unpack, you can read it in Luke 24. They begin to have these questions and Jesus unpacks and says, don't you see it? Don't you see what's actually happening? And he begins connecting the dots from the Old Testament to the New Testament to things that were written long ago and to these two guys who have been followers of, I mean, just Jewish tradition, followers of Jesus, trying to understand what's going on. They begin to see the dots being connected in their own life and the light bulb begins to come on for them and they finally get to where they're going. And they say to Jesus, please don't go on. It's getting late. Would you just come in? And they invite the stranger in. And he breaks bread, and suddenly in that moment they realize it's him. And he vanishes, which is an awesome trick. I just, I think our resurrected bodies would be able to do that. That's going to be really, really cool. He vanishes, and all of a sudden they look at each other, and here's what they say We're not our hearts burning within us as he spoke to us on the road. We're not our hearts beginning to illuminate, to have a light bulb moment for ourselves. This is about me. This is about my moment, about understanding what's really happening, and the dots are being connected, and I'm blown away at the grace of God that he would go to the cross on my behalf, that he would be the substitutionary atonement for me, that I deserve that, but he took it for me and that he rose again to prove that the check cleared, that it cashed, that God took it, and that what he said on the cross, it is finished, period. Not comma, not semicolon, period. 
and that life with God is now available through faith in Christ. And it's this light bulb moment for them, so much so that they get up at, at dusk, okay? That's just now dusk, and they run a 10K back to Jerusalem. And they find the disciples there gathered, and all of a sudden Jesus is there in their midst. And in this small group, he begins having a conversation with them again, and he actually eats things. So they can say, hey, look, I'm not a ghost. Actually, give me part of that bread, and he eats it right in front of him. He says, I'm, I'm, this is real. We have a savior that kept his scars, too. He didn't get rid of them. He kept them. He said, look, right here, see. See, scars tell a story, don't they? You have yours. He has his. And his story is I came back to life, not to prove I could. I came back to life for you. And maybe in your life, you've thought through and you begin to understand, you begin to have some light bulb moments, per se, with you and Jesus. And God's connecting the dots for you. And you begin to, to understand it. You sit here today as one who is a follower of Jesus because the light came on for you. And it made sense. And you pursued after other things and you finally realized this isn't about what I pursue. This isn't about what I try to go and get. This isn't about how hard I work. This is about who I'm believing in. And am I believing in me and my effort or am I believing in the one who said that he came to make it right? Maybe you sit here and the light bulb begins to become a little more clear for you now for the first time. That you begin to understand that Jesus really did come to this earth. He really did live a life and teach people. And it's great wisdom that you should learn from it. But it wasn't about just teaching principles and lessons. He came on a mission as the savior of the world to do something for you that you can never do on your own and to clear a path for you to have a right relationship with God as he gave his life and through his death and through his resurrection cleared a path for the forgiveness of your sins, the forgiveness of mine, to clear a path for us to have a right relationship with God and to walk and journey life with him. The truth of Easter, friends, is it's an invitation for everyone and it's an invitation for each someone. And for those of us gathered here, there's two of us in this room. Uh, one of us, we've been walking with Jesus for a long time. And you've had those moments where your heart was just burning within you. And maybe it's not that, maybe it's been a dry time for you recently. But you've had those moments where the light bulb came on and it began to make sense. And you, what you know is as you aim your life in the direction that Jesus is calling you to, life's just better there. It's a sweeter spot to be. It may not be perfect, but it's a sweeter spot to be. And I think what the light bulb of Easter would say and challenge to you today would be, would you continue to herald that story? Because Jesus came to forgive everyone, but he really came to forgive each someone. That he appeals and he appears, and he reveals his heart to individuals. And his invitation is for everyone, but it's for each someone. And that your job at your workplace, on the ball field that you play, on the neighborhood that you live in, in the conversations that you have throughout your day, is for you to be a part of the story of letting people know that God actually knows their name 
and he really does love them. And he made a way for them to have a relationship with him. Now the other group of you, you might be sitting here and you've been to church for a while or maybe haven't, it's been a while since you've been. And maybe you're hearing the story and it's filling in a little bit of pieces. You're still wrestling with stuff. You still have questions. You still have some things that are lingering. But for you tonight, the light bulb is beginning to come on. And I think what Jesus would say to you is I didn't come back to life to prove I could do it. I came back to life for you. That you may trade in your death. You may trade in your effort for life and hope that he can provide you. That he wants to journey life with you, friend. And if that's you tonight, then I don't want you to leave here without having a moment where you can make a decision right for yourself, right where you're at in your seat. I'm gonna invite you in a second to just pray a prayer with me. I'm gonna invite you as we move on in our service, as we're gonna have a time of communion. And we've got communion tables here in the middle and here down front. We've got gluten-free if you're that and you need that down here on my left, you're right. And we're gonna have a space in a moment where we're gonna have music playing and you're gonna have an opportunity to take communion tonight just to remember God's grace and his love and his forgiveness for you. And that you're invited into part of the story to, to move that story forward in how you live and where you live to broadcast that for people around you. And if you're here tonight and you want to pray with me, then I'm going to invite you in a second to do that. And then I'm going to invite you to be really bold. And just as we're moving around doing communion, I'd love to personally meet you and just welcome you to God's family and to say, we'd love to do everything we can. And I've got a free Bible for you. And I'm going to be down here over on the left. I'd love to meet you tonight. And we're going to have a song after communion and we're going to couple quick announcements and one last song as we close and that's the end of our night. That's where we're going. And so for you tonight as a follower of Jesus, this communion time is space and opportunity for you to find out how you can say, hey, I wanna be a person that continues to move your story forward, God. I wanna be a person that says I wanna champion that and how I live. If you're here tonight and you've never prayed to receive Christ, it's really this opportunity. Here's what uh, the Apostle Paul writes about. He talks about Jesus appearing to him and he writes these words. He says, I passed on to you what's most important, what you've heard from me, that Christ Jesus died for your sin, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. He goes on in another book to uh, the people in Rome. Here's what he begins to write. He says, look, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's nothing magical about it. There's no hoops to jump through. It's simply aligning your life to say, I'm tired of living life my way. Maybe you sit here and you're like, I'm tired. I'm trying to do everything on my own. Well, let God's grace empower you. Let God live life with you. Invite him. It takes a surrendered heart. It takes a humbled heart to say, I can't do it. I need you, Jesus. And so I'm just gonna lead us in a prayer and you can pray with me and then I'll close this and we're gonna move into communion. But if you're here tonight and you want to receive Jesus, then you pray this along with me. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died and that you rose again. And I believe that you came back for me to forgive my sins, that I could live a life with purpose and with you. The best I know how,
I give you my life. Lead me forward as a follower of you. Father, I, I pray tonight as we celebrate Easter. In a lot of ways, Easter is that light bulb moment for all of humanity. A declaration, a heralding uh, proclamation that life with you is available. God, for each one of us that are followers of you, I pray that we would own that. We would take it more serious to say, hey, God, how can I, how can I move your kingdom forward? How can I show people that, that you know their name and that they're loved by you? Father, we remember in communion the giving of Jesus' body broken for us, the giving of his blood shed on our behalf for the forgiveness of our sins. So as we take that in a moment, would you let that be a holy moment fueled up to live for you? And Father, for any who prayed that prayer for the very first time to say, Jesus, I need you. I'm tired of doing it my own way. I pray that you would let them know and sense this week that they live life with you now. The switch has been flipped. The light bulb has come on. Everything changes because resurrection changes everything. And in this next song, would you continue to stir our hearts and resurrect us as you're doing a work within us? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. There's communion tables around. Again, if you prayed that, I would love to meet you down here on my left, your right.